Feels the body's burning As the war machine keeps turning Death and hatred to mankind Poisoning their brainwashed minds Hi, this is Bob Petrakis bringing you the other side of the news. And I'm Dan Dugan, the other guy on the other side. WGRN, the Green Renaissance. This is Bob Petrakis bringing you the other side of the news. WGRN 94.1, the Green Renaissance. And I've got a Renaissance man here, Lee Camp. Redacted. Hey, Bob, how you doing? When he's not busy gardening and doing green things, he's redacting information, and uh, not really. He's actually bringing the information in that's been redacted that they're trying to keep from you. So, uh, Lee, what are you up to? Uh, yeah, well, just making another episode of Redacted tonight, like I do every week, and uh, yeah, just trying to keep up with the news. It's kind of I always say, sadly, I have tons of material. There's tons of stuff to cover. So. All right. And uh, here in Ohio, been following any of the events here? Uh, I am, as I frequently do, suing the Secretary of State, John Husted, uh, who claims he doesn't have the authority to keep the ballot images in the two major counties, Cuyahoga and, uh, of course, Franklin. Have you followed any of that? I haven't seen the latest updates, but I, I am constantly impressed with your uh, legal about battle to, to hold these people accountable. I was excited to see uh, what came down in the New York courts, showing that that uh, the public has the right to those ballot images. So uh, these, these look like, uh, these lawsuits seem like they could be turning our way, huh? Yeah, it, you know, and it's all because uh, they're obsessed with the Russians are coming and the Russians are tampering. But they don't understand most of this stuff, the people with the keys to the kingdoms, the insiders, the uh, proprietaries that uh, code these machines secretly are the real problem in the U.S. Well, and I think they didn't realize that by, uh, you know, using the Russians as a scapegoat to cover up the problems with the Democratic Party and everything else, I think they didn't realize that they were basically... uh, putting themselves in the line of fire, so to speak, in terms of, like, now when you say, hey, we want a more accountable uh, process, we want this verifiable, we want to see the ballot images, um, they can't really give the excuse, oh, no, it's fine, our system's fine, nobody needs to look at it, because they've already put this big goon up there that we all need to protect our elections from. So it it makes sense that we should want very uh, observable, accountable elections. Uh, absolutely. I, I think you're right. Uh, we're getting at the real problem because they created the uh, great uh, straw man who's out there, you know, the uh, the usual uh, leftover Cold War boogeyman. So with uh, that in mind, uh, any thoughts on the uh, correspondence dinner at the White House as a comedian? I'm sure you've seen, uh, watched it live or have seen the tape. Uh, yeah, I watched most of uh, Michelle Wolf's presentation, and and I have a kind of nuanced view that I haven't heard out there much. Uh, I I absolutely think she should be free to say everything she said. I don't even think most of it was 
uh, or any of it was offensive, and I think that our media is so thin-skinned that when they're called to task for the fact that they did create Trump, they gave him 25 times as much coverage as Bernie Sanders, or 23 times, um, you know, they created him, and now uh, they're, they're, he's helping them get great ratings, and when they're called on that, they don't know what to do with it. So I, uh, I, I think she said some important things, but I also think there is a certain place you can't go beyond and if you do, then then it's you don't get talked about. You know, Rand, comedian Randy Credico was forcibly kicked out of the White House Correspondents' Dinner. He was invited as a guest, and he uh, decided to start calling attention to the fact that one of the best-known journalists in the world, Julian Assange, is under uh, you know indefinite detention in the Ecuadorian embassy, and all these journalists don't care to talk about it or don't care to stand up for Assange. So Credico started. Uh, Announcing that to the crowd from his uh, from his table, and uh, they quickly escorted him out and handcuffed him for a bit, and then threw him out on the sidewalk. So it's 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 an interesting tale of two comedians: the comedian that is saying edgy things that uh, can can are, are still in the allowable discourse for our media, and the comedian that was saying something that outside of the acceptable discourse. Uh, well said, and uh, of course. Uh uh, I thought it was perfect that Donald Trump accused her of being filthy. I mean, coming from <laughs> Trump, I mean, he, he writes his own jokes. <laughs> well, that's the, that's the thing is there's really nothing is offensive when you have a president that says such, you know, horrific things on Twitter. So it's <laughs> like, how could you possibly think that someone else's jokes are offensive? Uh, and when you're in here in town on uh, Friday, May 4th, and uh, unfortunately, well, fortunately for you and fortunately for everyone with a ticket, uh, you sold out the Wild Goose uh, uh, creative space there. Uh, uh, what are you planning to do? Yeah, I'm, I'm excited. You know, we, we kind of added this show uh, kind of at, at a late date. We weren't really uh, expecting uh, to make it a big deal, but it sold out pretty quick. And uh, I'm, I'm playing Pittsburgh the following night, so if anybody wants to make the uh, whatever it is four-hour drive to come and see me in Pittsburgh, there's still tickets for that at LeeCamp.com. But uh, I'm, I'm excited, and, you know, I'm going to do my full-hour uh, stand-up routine. It's a lot of similar topics, the, the topics that your corporate media or your corporate uh, government don't want you to really talk about or hear about. Um, but... But it is stand-up comedy, and also uh, Tim Black of the Tim Black Show will be opening for me at both those shows, uh, Columbus and Pittsburgh. And I'm getting ready to tape a new stand-up comedy special in Los Angeles in a couple weeks. All right. Uh, congratulations there. We'll look for that. And uh, uh, the great irony is you're going to be here on May 4th, uh, of course, a day that goes down in infamy for the Kent State shooting. Oh, and, and, and ah, I hadn't even thought of that. And when uh, Harvey and I had, uh, Harvey Wasserman and I had written, uh, we actually uh, got the files of James Rhodes. Turns out he was a bookie who worked for the mob, ran a place called Jimmy's Place from 1936 to 38, and literally the FBI was blackmailing him. So uh, uh, interesting. Oh, wow. <laughs> uh, really, I mean, at one point uh, when he wins the governorship, uh, they move him up from you know, bookie to uh, school board where he steers contracts to Mira Columbus. And they look the other way. They say, well, he's still involved in the numbers racket, but he needs to be for the colored vote. 
I mean, you can't make this stuff up. (laughs) (laughs) And then ultimately uh, he becomes the uh, governor of the state and the FBI agent says, you know, we control this guy uh, completely. And I know that's the type of stuff you've looked at over the years. And the other thing, I don't know if you've been following the uh, uh, Kucinich uh, controversy in Ohio, but uh, uh, apparently uh, anyone who uh, disagrees with the military uh, and and says they shouldn't have the right to remove sovereign heads of state uh, is a sympathizer of Syrian dictators. <laughs> yeah, I, I mean, it's 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 amazing to watch them come down on people like Kucinich and Bernie Sanders and claim claim Bernie and Jill Stein are you know Russian agents and and it really is a neo McCarthyism and it's it's kind of funny that we went through all this once in our history and it seemed like everyone was in agreement that we didn't want to do it again and now you cannot speak out against the war atrocities being committed by our our military without being called a, a foreign agent well <laughs> i mean what 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 what's more patriotic than standing up in your country and saying you know we can do better than this well, yeah, and and also actually having an idea of what a war crime is when you attack a nation that isn't a threat to you. We established that in Nuremberg, Article 6, Sections 1 and 2. So when somebody actually brings it up in a election, they're crazy. They're out of control. They're beyond the pale. They're apologists well, for dictators as opposed to the people that are waging illegal wars. I know, and now we have uh, Gina, Gina Haspel actually using the Nuremberg excuse for uh, when she was overseeing the torture program, and she said, oh, well, or, or others have said on her behalf, she was just doing what she was told. It's not her fault. And I think uh, I think we tried that uh, defense <laughs> once before. Yeah, the, uh, the Eichmann defense. Yeah. Yeah, you would think, uh, I mean, uh, the great irony of the first country that put it in their constitutional cruel and unusual punishment would simply then uh, redefine it and say, it's okay if no major body organ fails. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Right. Well, I, I think there's plenty of things you can do to someone that doesn't involve major organ. <laughs> Huge definition there. Okay, so uh, what are you working on uh, right now? What, what's the next show going to be? Well, the next show is about uh, Wall Street and uh, how it's a, a bit of a Ponzi scheme because corporations don't pay dividends really much anymore. I mean, there's mm-hmm. you know you'll you'll see you'll see something here and there. Apple just said they're going to pay some dividends, but it's pretty rare. In general, their the money you get off of any stocks comes from other investors putting their money in, which is the definition of a Ponzi scheme. Mm-hmm. You've got to people got to keep putting money into to keep to prop up the house of cards or else it all comes down. Um, I also just did an article for Truth Dig about, uh, you know, we are going to, it seems pretty obvious we're going to keep ramping up for war with Iran, which is pretty terrifying. Um, and, you know, you know I, I pointed to the fact that Iran just last week officially dropped the U.S. dollar um, and switched to the euro, which every country, it seems, in that region that has attempted that, uh, Iraq, Libya, uh, Syria, they've, we've invaded them all. So dropping the dollar and uh, thumbing your nose at our central banking seems to be a cue for when we decide to invade. Uh, indeed, uh, Saddam, who went to the uh, 
Petro Euro, and uh, there were betting pools in my social science department. At what point would we illegally invade his country? Uh, <laughs> Libya, of course, John Perkins, uh, uh, yep. the Confessions of an Economic Hitman. Uh, I, I don't know, but I'm willing to say it on the air. I, I was in the tent with Gaddafi. Uh, I went there with Cynthia McKinney, and when he yeah. was explaining the gold dinar, that all yeah. the wealth of uh, Africa, there should be United States of uh, Africa. They've got gold. They've got oil. They've got diamonds. They've got rare earth metals. Uh, and that all of it should not be owned by Western corporations, but shared by the people of Africa. And that he was going to announce he was going to go forward with a gold dinar backed by actual tangible resources. This is when he was the president of the African Union. All I could think of. They won't let it happen, uh, despite yep. the fact that uh, Bellasconi, the prime minister of Italy, said he, he was well-loved by his people, except for a few areas like Benghazi, uh, generous, generous welfare state. So uh, a yeah, lot they, of yeah, this... Yeah, they gave thing, everyone a house. <laughs> well, that, no wonder they did them in. <laughs> Healthcare. A uh, house? Yeah, uh, yeah. Seriously, what what year was that that you saw him say that? Oh, I I was there in uh, uh, two thousand and nine. Two years yeah, before the debacle. Sounds about right. <laughs> yeah. So um, again, uh, we appreciate you being on the other side of the news. Any uh, last words to the listeners here at WGRN ninety four point one? Well, my last words, as my last words on my show each week, is just keep fighting. You know, there's these fights going on, as I'm sure you talk about, in in uh, cities across the country, states across the country. You know, largest strike in in Arizona's history with this teacher strike. You've got protests in Puerto Rico against their disaster capitalism, trying to gut their society, and these things go on, even though our mainstream media, corporate media, won't talk about them. Even MSNBC refuses to really talk about the teacher strike. So it's just. Uh, I, I just hope everybody realizes that people are waking up and standing up, even if your media won't tell you about it. All and, right. Uh, I hope uh, I hope people can uh, check out my stuff at LeeCamp.com. It's redacted tonight along with on television. It's also on uh, YouTube. All right. Privilege. Thanks for making the time, Lee. Uh, see you on Friday. Thanks so much for having me. All right. This is Bob Petrakis bringing you the other side of the news. WGRN 94.1. And uh, we're sitting here on May 2nd, two days before the anniversary of the Kent State shooting, which took place in 1970, one of the seminal events in U.S. history. And really uh, the question of how the authorities would treat uh, the anti-war movement, and uh, they responded, of course, uh, with guns, with the National Guards, shooting students at Kent State. And there's always been the untold story. Uh, the news, the mainstream corporate news, never seems to get to the more important points. Uh, I had the privilege back in 2003 of doing a record request uh, to get the FBI files associated with Governor James Rhodes. And uh, as I looked at these records, 
I gained a new perspective on why the Kent State shooting. And here is my thesis, boiled down, is that the FBI was blackmailing Governor James Rhodes because he was connected to organized crime. He had been a bookie. Uh, And again, this all comes from FBI files. Uh, Many years ago, the leading investigative reporter at the Columbus Dispatch, uh, back when I was breaking stories at Columbus Live, uh, wanted to show me that he knew a lot more than I did. Uh, and, and he clearly did. What I, what I was amazed about is how many stories the Columbus Dispatch had uh, back in the 1990s before anyone else. And, of course, it was catch and kill. They'd catch that story, and they'd kill it. So one day when their chief investigative reporter wanted to show how much he really knew, he said, why don't you write about Jim Rhodes being a bookie, right? You probably even uh, probably don't even know that, do you? So one of the reasons I went after the FBI files of Jim Rhodes uh, is to look into that allegation. And sure enough, between 1938 and 19. Uh, well, 1936 and 38, by Buttles and High, there was a little shop that James Rhodes uh, worked in and some say owned part of. Either his aunt owned it or his sister owned it. But uh, it was a numbers uh, drop-off point. He was a bookie. That's right. James Rhodes was a bookie, according to the FBI, from 1936 to 38. And then he worked his way up uh, from being a bookie. And as I understand, uh, selling occasional uh, sex films to uh, fraternities up on fraternity roll there at the Ohio State University. Uh, So he ended up being on the school board. in the 40s and 50s. Uh, And it was said that he was on the school board because they wanted organized crime did to steer contracts. And their man was James Rode. So he went from being a bookie to being on the school board to being president of the school board to in the 50s being the mayor of Columbus, Ohio. And then lo and behold, he runs for governor. In 1960, he runs for governor. And then he ends up being elected. And what happens? An FBI special agent in charge visits the governor and then writes a memo. uh, Writes a memo to J. Edgar Hoover saying, quote, we completely control him. So how would the FBI, quote, completely control the newly elected governor of Ohio? And they said they did this through a contact for a special agent in charge. So the FBI has special agents in charge. One's in charge of the bookie organized crime governor, James Rode, and they have a contact that is able to manage 
and massage him and get him to do what the FBI wants. Lo and behold, who was that contact for the FBI? Robert Wolf, publisher of the Columbus Dispatch and patriarch at the time of the mighty Wolf family of Columbus, Ohio, one of the most ruthless political machines ever to hold power uh, in a U.S. city. So now you've got, uh, and they also pointed out that Robert Wolf, who, of course, his family made it rich uh, after the patriarch uh, ended up being arrested around the turn of the century and put in the old Ohio pen for manslaughter, where he became a productive citizen while learning to make shoes. So if you trace the Wolf family back long enough, just as you trace, of course, the Rhodes family, what pops up is crime and organized crime. So you've got Robert Wolf, which the, uh, the FBI says finance. He, can, he vouches for the character of the bookie organized crime front, James Rhodes, and had financed many of his campaigns, including this one for governor. So James Rhodes gets put in there. They pass all sorts of laws. He supports one that no communists can speak on campuses in Ohio, that the trustees have the power to bar communists. This, of course, makes J. Edgar Hoover happy. So they get a relationship. An FBI office is opened uh, in the Columbus area, so you don't have to bring your agents up from Cincinnati. Uh, they're going after, you know, real and imagined communists. They're stifling free speech together. And then the student movement explodes over the Vietnam War uh, as hundreds of thousands of troops are sent to Vietnam in 1965, even though there was that early teaching that year at the school up north, the University of Michigan, where the scholars said, why go to war against Vietnam? They're, they're an enemy of communist China. Uh, why not leave them be? Why not make peace with them? Which is ultimately what we learned to do in the 1990s. Now, for God's sake, we make jeeps in Hanoi, who we fought a hot war with. And I support that. I think we're better off uh, with making peace than war. But students were targeted, and that led to the tension and the disaster of Kent State. His Rhodes, of course, was running for the U.S. Senate, running against Bob Taft, and he wanted to show at the urging of J. Edgar Hoover of the FBI that he was tough, tough on college students, tough on the peace movement, tough on the left, tough on the civil rights movement. So what happened at Kent State? First of all, the National Guard was not supposed to have live ammunition. So they were violating the laws of the state of Ohio. Uh, remember that 
these demonstrations were triggered because of the indiscriminate bombing of a neutral country, Cambodia. Our intervention in Cambodia later led to the tragedy of the killing fields where one-seventh of the population of that small Buddhist country died. So, Nixon was lying, and we were bombing a neutral country, Cambodia. Students were protesting, and they were shot. You know, the 13-minute, a second or so volley of weapons. In 2007, a tape emerged. Uh, the Guard always argued that, uh, backed by you know, many conservative Ohio newspapers, that you know, the students were charging the Guard. Uh, luckily, the film from that event shows the Guard walking up a hill and then turning and firing. But in 2007... A tape was unearthed showing that there were direct orders. It wasn't chaos. It wasn't bedlam. The students weren't threatening the guard. The closest one was a football field away. But they were told to aim and fire. And they did. And here's another curious revelation. Uh, If you look at Harvey Wasserman, my co-writer, and I, Also, another tape came forward showing that there was an FBI snitch who was being confronted by students. He may have had a gun. He may have shot that gun. And that's why the troops turned and fired. But what you've got between FBI and Governor Rhodes is layer after layer of cover-up. And the reality is all of this was part of COINTELPRO, the counterintelligence program. In fact, the events that led to the National Guard going to the campus was the burning of the ROTC building. But plenty of evidence in the archives, Kent State archives, in the scholarly books written that the campus security told the media when the ROTC building, an old hardwood barrack structure, was going to burn. And we've talked at the Free Press to eyewitnesses uh, who were there, and we've read it in the archives, is that they couldn't burn it. The students couldn't burn uh, this building, uh, this hardwood building. But lo and behold, a man roars up on a motorcycle with a can of gasoline and gives it to a high school dropout. And then the building burns. And then Ohio State claims it's worth far more than it is so they can build a brand new shiny uh, at Kent State. Uh, Sorry there, Kent State. uh, A brand new ROTC building. So Kent State was a deliberate attack on the student movement in a cover-up between the bookie, the organized crime figure, Governor Rhodes, James Rhodes of Ohio, and the man he admired, even when he was a bookie, 
J. Edgar Hoover. And read about this at thefreepress.org. Google Bob Fitrakis or Bob Fitrakis and Harvey Wasserman and Kent State. And this is my show on that anniversary. Thanks. Thanks for listening to The Other Side of the News. This is Bob Fitrakis and Dan Dugan, WGRN 94.1 LPFM, The Green Renaissance.